Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. It is Wednesday night and it's time for Friends in Fiction. So let's get rolling. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. I'm Patty Callahan Henry. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Kristen Harmel. And this is Friends in Fiction. And there is an air compressor that just came on at the house next door, and there's nothing I can do about it. So if y'all can hear that, I'm really sorry. Okay, it just we went can't. off. Nope. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> it's really loud. Okay, we are four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight, we will be welcoming Ann Garvin, author of There's No Coming Back From This, and Allie Carter, author of The Blonde Identity, both can't miss reads of the season. We are also tremendously grateful to all of you out there who have supported us in our book launches this year. It just means the world to us. And of course, you know that underlying everything is our mission to help support independent booksellers. One way that you can do that is to buy from them when and where you can or visit our own friendsandfictionbookshop.org page where you can find Anne's and Allie's books and books by the four of us and our guests at a discount. And speaking of books, don't forget to join the Friends and Fiction Official Book Club with Brenda and Lisa. You guys, they just hit 20,000 members over there on a separate Facebook page. We are so proud of them. It's so incredible. So be sure to join them on September 18th, live at 7 p.m., when they will be discussing yours truly with the author, Abby Jimenez. For just a second, I thought you meant like, they'll be discussing yours truly, like me. And I was like, wow, that's really okay. And then I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. All right. Um, Now, without further ado, let's welcome Ann Garvin. Ann Garvin, PhD, is a USA Today bestselling author of several funny and sad novels. She writes about people who do too much in a world that ask too much from them. So that means all of us. She worked as an RN and after receiving her PhD, taught exercise physiology, sports psychology, nutrition, stress management, and global health for 30 years in the University of Wisconsin system. She currently teaches creative writing at Drexel University in their low residency Masters of Fine Arts program. And she's held positions at Miami University and Southern New Hampshire in their Masters of Fine Arts creative writing program. Anne was a nurse, like I was, and then went to writing, and she is the founder of the multiple award-winning Tall Poppy Writers, where she is committed to helping women writers succeed. She is a sought-after speaker on writing, leadership, and health. She has taught extensively in New York, San Francisco, and a bunch of cities, and at festivals across the country and in Europe. Her new novel, There Is No Coming Back From This, was just released earlier this month. I can't wait to talk about it. Yay. Love that cover. Juan, can you bring Anne on? I love that cover too. Hey. Hi. Hi, you guys. Oh, it's so good to be here and so good to be back and see you all. Oh, you we're too. so excited you're here. And we loved oh, this book you. and we're so excited to talk to you about it. This was one that 
um, I don't know. I feel like I got it like at just the right time. And it was just, it's so just, it's fun and it's funny, but it's also poignant and we'll talk a lot about it. So um, you were one of my very first author friends, Anne Garvin. And so I'm always so grateful to see you and for all of your support and love for all of these years. Yes. Um, and I have to say, you know, I love all your books, but I think there's no coming back from this might be my favorite. I just love this book. So your protagonist, Poppy, just as her daughter is leaving for college, discovers her CPA has absconded with her life savings. She is out of money and out of options when an old flame offers her a job in Hollywood that she is woefully unqualified for. But she needs that job and maybe overstates her qualifications a touch. Um, <laughs> but she also, misunderstanding the benefits of this work, she heads across the country only to find that it doesn't actually include housing, which is um, the first in a long line of horrifying but also kind of funny surprises and mix-ups that come along with this job in wardrobe. Poppy just does not fit in and no one is trying to make her life easier. But with her signature... And But with your signature Ann Garvin pluck, she perseveres, <laughs> making friends with a curmudgeonly movie star, taking in a dog in need of some love, which is a very Ann Garvin move, and uncovering <laughs> some mysterious wrongdoing along the way. So that's a little bit about what this book is about. So can you tell us a little more? And then can you tell us what it's really about? Yeah, I can. I So it's, it, you know, it's based on... Um, this woman going into costuming and going into a big universal, the idea came from, I remember saying to my friend, wouldn't it be funny if they remade all of Nora Ephraim's movies, all of her rom-coms, but with dogs. And then, <laughs> and like, I love it. I, and then I started thinking about that and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a book that's around that <laughs> and, um, and so then I had to learn everything there was to know about costuming um, because I decided that that, that protagonist was going to have, have to learn in a big movie. And so then it, it's really about, you know, it's really about how um, women are underestimated. Like we do the yeoman's job, right? We do just about everything. We take care of people emotionally. We take care of people physically. That isn't just the stereotype. It's what we do in our lives. It's actually what we're meant to do. I think that we're really good at connecting. But then, and and by doing that, we take care of other people. We have to find out what is good for them, what they need. And so we spend more time thinking about other people and what they need than what we want or need. And so mm. she's she's gotten herself into a whole life of, not really ever asking herself, like maybe what would you like or want? And and every time someone asks her that, she's so frustrated because she's like, what, what? Like, I don't even think about that. And so uh, the story is about a woman who has to like be really forced into making a I want statement. And um, it takes her almost the whole book to get to that uh, because she's taking care of everybody. And when you're a costumer, that is what you do. Like you're just there for everybody else's to look good on film. And wow. so, and she's from the Midwest and the Midwest, like I'm from Wisconsin and nobody is, I feel like Wisconsin is the nation's labradoodle. We are, like, <laughs> you know, I mean, certainly, although I would say, Christy, you would champion that when you came, when we met the first time, I think you were very labradoodle-like. And uh, <laughs> 
we liked each other immediately. It's like one sees the other. We're like, yeah. So, we um, we know. <laughs> a Midwesterner sees a Southerner and we just instantly know yes. that it's going to be, who can be more polite to the other yes. one? Who can be more likable, right? So, um, oh, and MK, it's about that. I said you guys were not butt sniffing each other, right? <laughs> no, no, no. No. No, we should have kept you muted. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but we, um, it's also the idea of that kind of woman is very often underestimated. And so, you know, it's terrible to be underestimated, but it can also be kind of a, a sort of a hidden power. And um, Poppy definitely uses the fact that she's underestimated to figure her way through what's what's happening in the book. She's got to solve something. So, I love that. yeah, awesome. yeah. Wait. Sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. It was just really fun. It was really fun to explore that because you know over the years that's been I am way too pleasant, too likable, too you know, and I've had to really learn how to say no and sometimes not yeah. be liked, and it is a really hard thing for me. It's hard. Amendable, yeah. very amendable. It, yeah. I bought a book recently that says The Courage to be Disliked. Ooh, and, uh, I like that. I know. I haven't read it yet. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's osmotically getting in there because it's by your I'm putting it under the pillow. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah You've taken yeah, the like, first step. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. You've read the well, title. It's in <laughs> So, uh-huh. Anne, Christy and Mary Kay were both lucky enough to get early reads of this novel. So Christy, who I will now never be able to unsee as our labradoodle of Friends in Fiction, has mm-hmm. said an, an Anne Garvin novel is like, curling up beside your favorite wittiest friend and laughing and crying all at once about the hilarity and heartbreak of life. What a, what a, what a blurb. That's great. And MKA said, Anne Garvin's genius lies in creating endearing, authentic women in the throes of midlife. This 50 year old single mom digs deep in her own Midwest nice way to finally become the hero of her own life. So Anne, your characters are so deeply imagined and so relatable that we we have to wonder when writing a book do you come up with the characters first or do you come up with the plot and then maybe that kind of leads us to a larger question which is are you a plotter or a pantser can you talk to us a little bit about process yes yeah i sure can so i um sometimes i'll come up with a premise first but that premise only works with a very particular kind of person so like the fact that i was thinking that this would be a costumer at a big movie Thing only with dogs. And then I was thinking the only way that's interesting is if you make it somebody that's absolutely not going to fit in Hollywood, knows nothing about sewing, even likes yeah. dogs, doesn't have one, and you force her into all these situations. So I come up with a premise, and that premise is immediately locked to a character that's ah. um, sort of the antithesis of it. And then I deeply explore, like, I am both a plotter and pantser. I do both. But when I say that, like, I, I just really explore what I'm trying to say. And then from there, I think, okay, how is this character really going to embody this, what I'm trying to say? And then because it's, and I don't know if this is necessarily true, but I feel like when I'm writing a book, um, if it's going to be funny, I, like I'm not a, I would not say that I'm a hilarious person by any means. And I don't even think my writing is all that hilarious, but I do think it's, it's more like this. It's more like, (laughs) you know? And so (laughs) if I were to write that, it's not joke, 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 joke. The whole book is wrapped around 
Yeah. Like it's the book is and the scene and the title and the lines, like they all have to sort of be embedded. So if I'm going to make a book that isn't 300 pages long, I got to get to it. Like I have to <laughs> plot it. Like I have to make sure that I don't go off thinking every single thing is funny because I can, t- I can do that mm. just because I, I, at least I think it's funny. Like other people, <laughs> not so much, but yeah. And I'm yeah. going to disagree. You're hilarious. So yeah. Yeah. And the books are funny too. And it's like, it's those things that, you know, you often say and you're like, well, it's funny because it's true. Like, yes, it's funny because yeah. it's true. And you're like cringing because you're like, oh yes. God, that would be me. You know, I mean, uh-huh. just... yeah, well, yeah, because it's so painful, right? Like everything is so painful. That's life. But it's also very funny. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. speaking of funny because it's true, I'm also wondering if you ever base characters on people from your own life. You know, I, um, somebody, I think it was Elizabeth Berg said what I think is the best way to describe how I will do that is that um, everybody is chopped up in my head and they come out in my books in all different ways. Like everybody. That's interesting. Yeah. I I feel like like everybody I've ever met is going to end up in a book, but maybe just their foot or maybe just one thing they ever did or because they all come jumbling out and yeah. to some weird mixture. It's sort of like a mosaic, except, except the villain in this book. Ooh. I based him on somebody. I've never done that before, but I did base him on somebody. Like oh. I had somebody in mind. Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to read it. So, because he's not the kind of person that would read it. But oh. I do. But I did do that and I've never done it before. Um, and the reason I did is that like he's, He's, I think, I don't, I think we throw around the term narcissist all the time. And, but I think he's definitely like a narcissist behavior. And so if I hadn't had that much experience with somebody like that, I might not have been able to write it because I tend to think everybody is as honest and nice as I, I'm sorry. I hate to say how I feel like I'm a little daisy walking around. Like, I don't believe anybody would be that mean. And then (laughs) they are. So if I hadn't had so much time to spend with that person, Uh. I probably couldn't have written it in such a subtle way. That you use the true subtleties of his narcissism. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sorry you had to experience that, but I'm glad you were able to find to use it to find its way into fiction. I think that's. Yeah, it, you know, I'm it, sure it made your book richer. It well, yeah. I mean, I de- and I it kind of like you know, there's a lot of people that are sort of similar to that sometimes. So yeah. they it just really helped me see that behavior. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah. And so then as I was writing it, I was like, oh, yeah, I have to put this in the front because that's that's a clue to who he is. But nobody will see it until the very end, you know. So that was fun. I haven't done that before. I like that you can alchemize something terrible and make it work for good in a really great story. It's pretty awesome. Thank you. Okay, so there is definitely a dating in your 50s theme going on in this book. And it's funny and it's unfiltered. And you have been very open on your social media. And if those of you who are watching are not following Anne on social media, get on her Instagram because it is hilarious and open and funny and unfiltered. And in your newsletter, you even talk about your own dating hits and misses. So Uh did anything in your own relationships except the villain inspired Poppy's dating adventures or misadventures? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because, you know, like <laughs> when you're going to go through that, you should at least get to use yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> at least get to use right? it. 
Yeah. And I, I've had a lot of people, people close to me are like, oh my God, why aren't you writing that book? Like, why aren't you writing? And then I said, you know, like I, I said the sentence three marginal lovers the other day and, and they were like, that should be the title of your book. And I said, it would have to be like 7,000 marginal lovers. <laughs> and, then, and then I was like, do I, do I want that book out for my kids to read? I not. So, or my grandchildren even worse. And there hasn't been 7,000. I just want to be clear. But, um, <laughs> We didn't but think that like, was literal. We're, we're okay. Not, we get yeah, hyperbole. really exaggerating on that. Yeah, I, I'm exaggerating. By and someone. if it was seven thousand, and we are not here to shame you, <laughs> yeah. you're not here to judge. You're like, not here to judge. I am. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> He's here. We that might send you some augmenting, but like otherwise, <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of latex, like a ton of latex. I'd need the whole latex plant if it was seven thousand, right? So, um, I, you know, I think, um, you know, after having been married for 15 years and then you tried dating again. And the thing that I think is the thing that I can't shut off when I'm going out on a date or, or even messaging people on dating apps or a, is that, that observation voice that's making everything funny and embarrassing. <laughs> and so like, I, forget that they don't know my sense of humor or they like, and then when I meet them and they say something ridiculous, I, I, I can't not go, oh, I need to go write that down somewhere because it's so ridiculous. So yeah, <laughs> there is a lot of that, just especially that kind of where she's like, not sure if, if anybody is attracted to her, not sure if, if she's got anything that's worth anybody seeing. And I think that that, um, I think that that is everybody's sort of thing. Like, is anybody ever going to like me anymore? Especially after you get a certain yes. age. And yes. I, I write, le sort of leaned into that a little bit, I think, when I was writing her, because she would be the last person that thinks that she'd have anything to offer in a relationship. And she spends most of her time feeling like it's over for her and she just needs to make some money for her daughter. Which I think is very common for women, yeah. especially in this age-obsessed culture. Um, I think it's very hard for women to think like most of my friends are like, I can't believe you went out on a date. I can't believe you would have to go through your history again. And then have you thought about like, what are you going to do when you have to take your clothes off? And then oh, everybody's that was all, my next question. Like, oh my God, it's yeah. just this. Yeah. Whole... Yeah. Well, and you know, I, no offense, men, but you know, they will, they'll, they'll use a, a sock that they yeah. don't really, you know, <laughs> they don't care. I mean, if it's a woman, uh, we care more than they care. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. If it's they're a woman. not like, oh my god, that stretch mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They don't care. They're like, yeah. I, it's a woman. It's better than yeah. my hand. So I yeah. feel. Like, <laughs> no, they're happy. I'm just saying. You know? okay. oh, man. Yeah. Speaking of our children, this novel is so funny and so fascinating. But at its core, it's a story about motherhood and the lengths we'll go to to protect our children. Now, Poppy's life might be falling in around her ears, but she's not going to let her daughter know. And you're an incredible mother yourself. Did your own experiences in motherhood or your own daughters, did they did that factor into this novel at all? Are you still trying to fix their lives? Well, isn't that interesting? Yeah, because I, um, I feel like when your kids are growing up, you're constantly sort of trapped between, you know, how much should I tell them about what's really happening and how much should I shield them from? And then they age and it's that question again. And then they age and it's that question again. And, you know, trying to keep the, and I was a single mom 
almost predominantly. And so it was, you're always like, you're good friends with them, but you're not their friend, you're their mother. And so I feel like there is that piece where, you know, maybe you should tell the truth and maybe you shouldn't tell the truth. And it's a very difficult thing. And it changes whoever you would ask. Like, I think that some people are like, it's funny. I don't, I honestly do not read very many reviews. Sometimes I read a five star just before I start writing. If I'm feeling very insecure, <laughs> you know, like, although I do read the one stars and I send them to my daughter because they're kind of funny. Cause sometimes they're like, I can't download this book or they're like um, total trash, which then makes me laugh a little bit because they're just say one line trash. So, um, <laughs> but like it's every once in a while, someone will say, you know, I, I wouldn't have kept that secret for my daughter or, oh, I totally get it. I wouldn't have told my daughter either. And I just feel like we're all sort of in that how much to tell and how much not to tell with yeah. kids all the time. Yeah. And um, and I think it depends on what your biggest fears are, where, yeah. well, uh. you know, how you manage your kids is often what your biggest fears are. And what I found yeah. as a parent is you can't really do very much anyway. Like, yeah, they are who they are. And uh, and I think you just have to try to take your medication <laughs> And, you know, <laughs> and be and try to get emotionally um, stable before you try to have a child and then try to raise them, you know. Good luck with yeah. that. And yeah. I think they all come out with their own compass, right? They do. And so we're always trying to, and the older they get, the less control you have over that compass. Yeah. Never had any. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. We have been talking about this so much, like with my friends recently, like as our kids are getting older and like some of my friends have older kids and they're like, I can't like I did all of these things and like yep. they still hate this yeah. or love this or it's yes. like they just came out and that was who they were. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The one thing that's in this book um, is that like I taught nutrition for I don't know, 25 years and my daughter went to daycare with a teddy bear that she named Chicken Nugget. <laughs> and I like I mean, the daycare people are going to think I fed you chicken nuggets all the time. And, and I didn't. But I, it's so like you're walking around there like, what's your bear's name? Chicken nugget. Oh, is that your favorite food? I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you're like, I'm a nutritionist. No. Yeah. I'm like, oh. I, know. Well, Anne, I feel like we could talk to you all day long. But sure. um, and you've been such an incredible guest. But before I let you go, we, we do want to talk to you really briefly about the tall poppies, because one, it occurs to me that you have a character named Poppy. Was that a coincidence? Yeah. And then also, you know, you started this amazing group of female writers, which I am so lucky to have been a member of since 2014. That was like 100 years ago. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the tall poppies? And then what do you think makes this makes female centered? I can't talk makes female centered groups like this so special and so powerful. Well, the tall poppies were, you know, I, I realized early on that I wasn't going to be able to do um, anything that I wanted to do in writing without some help from friends. And so, and I didn't know anyone. I, I had come from science and so I didn't have any um, author friends. And so I thought if we put together a group of people that all share each other's work and we share readers and we share, share stories and we help each other out, then this hard business that's entertainment um, is going to be a little bit easier because you'll have friends. And um, so yeah. that's where it kind of started. And then it, now it's morphed into a little bit more about, you know, ways that we can help other new writers come up and help um, writers, friends, just like you guys do all the time, giving interviews, allowing people to come into Bloom and doing those kinds of things. And I think, you know, the one thing that women are really blessed with is friendship. And they and we 
I think women know the value of friendship. And I think it's one of the ways that we stay mentally healthy and married and become yeah. good parents. And, and I think, unfortunately, men don't quite have that network. And I, my friends save my life. My author friends, my friends in my, um, in my community, just my, wherever I've worked, if I've created a little bit of a community, it's really saved my life. And um, so I think that they're really important, especially you know, in a field that still favors men to some extent. I think that women bind together and we have a lot more power and a lot more voice. And I always say this, that if a woman doesn't sell enough books and isn't able to continue in her publishing career, her voice can never get stronger. And we need women's voices to get stronger so that we can be continuously be part of the dialogue, whatever that dialogue is that we choose to have. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I've always been. I just think if we keep dropping out, if, if people lose, don't get enough readers and they keep dropping out, they can never get stronger. And I, yeah. like when you said, Chrissy, that you think this book is my best book, I think it is my best book. And I think maybe my next book will even be better because I'm getting so much stronger in my writing. I love that. And it takes time. And if I hadn't had the poppies and my other author friends, I wouldn't be here because I wouldn't have kept going. I wouldn't have been able to do it. It's true. Oh, so it's my that friends that have done it for me. Yeah, well, so you have done it too. And you've helped so many people. And what a perfect note to end on. You are yeah. just the greatest. We love you. We're so grateful that you joined us. And we want everyone to run out and buy your amazing new book immediately. There's no coming back from this go order it from our bookshop.org page or anywhere you buy your books. Thank you so much, you guys. It's just so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having you. me. All right. <laughs> so we are so excited to get to Allie Carter. But first, a few quick messages from us. If you're not signed up for our weekly, that word, weekly, email newsletter, what are you doing with your life? So make sure you head over to friendsandfiction.com to sign up because that's where you get moved in on all our updates. We include amazing and exclusive Q&As with our guests, things we want to talk about on the show. They'll talk about their book recs. They'll talk about what they're doing. They'll talk about writing routines. And we cover more than we can on the show. So make sure that you subscribe. MKA, you're, you're muted. muted. Today is just a tech nightmare. I was going to say, right? <laughs> excuse Patty. She's, she's um she's not at home, so she's in somebody else's broadcast center tonight. Okay, we're going in and out hmm. a little bit. Oh. A little bit. Yeah, it's not every year. All four of us have new novels being released, but this is one of those years. Kristen's, Christie's, and Patty's have all just been released, and mine finally is coming in September. So far this year, we've been in Columbus, Ohio, Charleston, Tampa, Huntsville, Alabama, and Atlantic Beach, North Carolina together. And last, but hopefully not least, we're all headed to Westminster, Maryland, October 4th to celebrate the launch of my new book, Bright Lights, Big Christmas. Tickets are on sale now through a Likely Story bookstore, and you can also find buy links on um, the Friends in Fiction page and on my website, MaryKAndrews.com. 
Yeah, we're so excited about that. It's going to be great to all be together again in a place we haven't been. We all, we, you know, we like going to places yeah. where we haven't been together as a group before. So okay. that's, that's going to be fantastic. So we mm-hmm. also love reminding you about our Friday podcast because it is so incredible. And we've had some of the most fascinating guests on that show. So we always post a link to the newest episode on Facebook and Instagram, or better yet, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and you will be notified each time a new episode drops. So on the most recent episode, Ron and MKA talked to audiobook narrator Julia Whalen about her debut novel, Thank You for Listening. And coming this Friday, Patty will be talking to David Katz about the Kauai Writers' Conference. So exciting. All right. Well, speaking of exciting things, now it's time for our next guest, Allie Carter. Allie Carter is the best-selling author of novels that have epitomized action-adventure YA romance for more than a decade. From the spy-centric humor of, I tell you I love you, but then I'd have to kill you, to the globe-trotting glamour of heist society, ambassador row, embassy row, and not if I save you first. The name Allie Carter is synonymous with hilarious action and heart-pounding romance. Allie is also the author of The Winterborn Home for Vengeance and Valor and The Winterborn Winterborn Home for Mayhem and Mystery for Younger Readers. Her first original screenplay, A Castle for Christmas, was recently number one on Netflix. Ooh, how cool. So Allie lives within an easy drive of her home farm in Oklahoma and encourages you to follow her online if you love bad pictures and typo-filled tweets (laughs) that she sends out when she really should be writing. I understand that. (laughs) Her new book, The Blonde Identity, which is written for adults, was just released earlier this month. All right, Juan, can you bring Allie on, please? Hi, Hi, Allie. Hello. We're so so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just, this is an honor. Oh, it's our pleasure. Yes, it is a pleasure. Well, we are so excited to have you today and to talk about this incredible new book of yours. So The Blonde Identity is a fast-paced, action-packed novel in which a woman wakes up having lost her memory. She knows someone is trying to kill her, and she knows the government agencies might be after her. She's sort of piecing this together, but it's a very handsome secret agent who might be trying to kill her too, (laughs) who reveals that she is actually the twin sister of a spy, not a spy herself. He agrees to help her disappear, and the pair pose as a lovesick couple honeymooning their way across Europe, all while trying to uncover secrets and find her sister. Oh yeah, and there's only one bed, so we know that's a fan favorite trope. So that's just a little about what this book is about. There's so much that I could like hardly even tell you, but um, can you tell us a little more about The Blonde Identity and can you tell us what it's really about? Yes. So this one has been kind of percolating in my head for a very long time. I tried to write it as a middle grade novel. I tried to write it as a YA novel and I could never quite get it to crack. And then I was talking with a friend of mine who was like, that's because they're adults. This is a grown up novel. These are, these are 30 year old people. And then everything about it sort of clicked. And, and I realized that, you know, I've spent most of my career writing these action dramas for teenagers. And uh, I've been on so many book festivals and so many conferences. And I'm always on the like, you know, girls who kick butt panel about, you know, women who are who are great and they're spies and they're, you know, they know martial arts and they're good with weapons and all this type of stuff. And what I realized is that 
People really respond, uh, people have this idea that a strong female character means she's just like a man, but with boobs. And I really wanted to write something that was about a strong female character who did not have the secret agent skills. I wanted to write somebody who that was not their superpower is that they are just like Jason Bourne, but you know, female. I wanted to write, you know, that there are a lot of different types of strength and that there are a ton of different ways in which women can save the day. And so that's, that's who this heroine is, is, you know, her identical twin sister is a kick butt secret agent. She is not, but that does not mean that she is in any way, shape or form, not a strong female character. Mm, I love that. So, Allie, I'm curious, you obviously made a name for yourself in the young adult space with your Gallagher Girls series, your Heist Society series, and many more YA novels. And you just talked a little bit about what made you decide to move into adult with this, because the characters were speaking to you essentially as 30-somethings. The story made sense with them in that age space. But can you talk a little bit about the challenges of moving into a completely different genre. I've done the opposite a little bit. I've always written adult and I've, I've written a couple of young adult novels and I don't know that I ever really found my voice there. I mean, I I think it's like a different, it's, it's, it's more, to me, it was more different than I expected it to be. Did you find the same and were there some challenges and obstacles that you didn't anticipate along the way? I can definitely see where it would feel really different for some people. I think that in my case, I, my voice is just my voice. And so I think that, you know, this, this book may sound younger. My YA books may sound older. I think for me, it's really more a matter of figuring out who that character is and, and what the voice of that particular novel is. One sort of trick that I use a lot is um, if I've been writing a certain you know, age group or world or character. And I've been writing that series. For example, my Gallagher Girl series was first person and first person press tense. And then when I, when I had to switch gears and write high society, I was really afraid because I knew I was going to be going back and forth between, oops, sorry, uh, back and forth between those two series. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll write high society in third. And so I think that my sort of alternating, because this is this is a romance novel. This is very old, not old school, but like this is your classic him, her alternating third person POVs. You know, these this is the what this is the romance novel style that I sort of grew up reading, and so uh, for, in that way, it, it always felt right to me that I okay. you know once once you pick once I, once I found the POV and and figured out okay it's past tense it's third person. Um, and then what I actually did, and I do this for every novel, is I, I will sit down and I'll write the first chapter 40 different ways. Like, well, what if it's first person oh, past? Okay. What if it's first person present? What if it's third person? And then what I've what I've learned through the years is that when I look up and I'm on like chapter four, I'm like, oh, no, this is the right one. I've this This is the POV it's supposed to be in and this is the voice it's supposed to be in. So that's one way of doing it. And and otherwise, you know, I just sort of threw everything against the wall and I trusted my editor to come back and say, no, this is a what this is. She sounds too YA here or no, this is this is, you know, this is a YA, you know, plot beat or whatever. And um, for the most part, I try to rough draft with my internal editor off and then let an actual editor come along behind me and tell me if I'm on the right path or not. Oh, I'd love to hear how nice. you turn off that uh, inner editor switch. Yes, please, I need directions please. for that. <laughs> it's really hard. 
I love, I love what you just said about, you know, trying on the different, it's like trying on shoes, right? <laughs> and you don't know until you walk around in that pair of shoes. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. so interesting. And sometimes I feel like I, a story is like coming to me in one like person or tense or whatever. And I like kind of am manipulating it. And like, maybe that's the wrong thing to be doing. I love yeah. this. Somebody yeah. asked me the other day, did you write your, I have an audible original. Did you write it in the first person or third person? And I couldn't remember <laughs> because I don't always do one or all, I had to go look it up and yeah. see what I wrote it in because it, the voice comes when the voice mm -hmm. comes. Yeah, yep. exactly. That's so true. Okay, Allie, I love, loved A Castle for Christmas. I mean, it is my niece and my granddaughter's favorite Netflix Christmas movie. And they have a ritual of watching it together. It's like, okay, Sarah, okay, Molly, we're going to sit on the sofa uh -huh. and we're going to watch uh, A Castle for Christmas. And that's saying a lot. Talk to us about how you got the idea for that movie. Oh, my gosh. That's so, thank you so much. So first of all, I it, it was my original spec script and I have co-writing credit, um, but I want to be really upfront and say that, you know, it's not entirely me. Part of the Hollywood process is they do bring on other writers. And so uh, there was another writer who has official credit and a writing team that also did a pass. So it's, it's, it is mine, but it's not mine. It's one of those weird kind of things. Uh, but it really came about because for years I had uh, my contracts kind of lined up so that I always had a book due about December 1st or December 15th, somewhere along in there. And so I'd have this like mad dash toward the end of the year of finishing a book, turning it in. And then I would do nothing but lie on the couch and watch Hallmark Christmas movies for about two <laughs> solid weeks. And about a week into that, you know, when I've got like pizza stains all over me and stuff, I'd get a little punch drunk and start texting my friends. I could write one of these. I could write one of these in a week, you know? And, and they, and so finally my friends were like, okay, either do it or shut up about it. And so uh, I'm an economist by training and I love me a spreadsheet. So I actually um, spent, oh, probably a month or two actually going through and watching every Hallmark movie I no could way. possibly, wow. like, you know, I'd TiVo them all. And so, and what was interesting about that, that was actually fascinating because, you know, they, they rerun them over and over and over again. And so I could watch like that year's Hallmark movie and then follow it up with a movie from like 10 years earlier. And I could actually kind of chronicle, like, how did they evolve and what changed? And I realized that the story beats and the story arcs stayed almost exactly the same. The production values got much higher. The music that they used got much more expensive. Things like that really changed. But the core story stayed the same. And so I could actually kind of figure out, like, okay, you know, at this point, you know, this is the point at which they almost kiss, but get interrupted by a dog or a small child. Like, you know, <laughs> it was very, very formulaic. And so I started with that. And then of course I couldn't really stick to that. And, and so I just wrote, uh, you know, I had probably, I don't know, 60 pages or something of it. And then I was at, um, a conference with a good friend of mine who's actually a writer and an entertainment attorney. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've got, I found this thing on my hard drive. It's hilarious. It's, I mean, it's so bad. And she looked at it. She's like, actually, this isn't that bad. This is pretty good. And I was like, oh, it's, terrible a stupid stupid thing I did and she's like you need to finish this wow. and so I finished it and I sent it to her I'm like okay now you can tell me how bad it is 
And then I got a text from her a couple of weeks later. She's like, oh, I had lunch this week with a producer and they want it. And, oh, and I was like, uh, how did that happen exactly? Because um, I, 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 and part of me is like, I want to be really honest and upfront with folks about how that happened is I had a friend who slipped it to a producer. I hate saying that because I hate <laughs> the idea that people have, especially with publishing, that you have to know somebody who to get into yeah. the business. And that's that's really not the case. I didn't know anybody when I got into publishing. But Hollywood obviously is different. And I very, very much was in the right place at the right time. And so, yeah, a great production company took it on. Uh, they had another option for a couple of years. And then they had a meeting with Brooke Shields, who said, yeah, this is the one I want to do. And and so they, my the producer called me one day. And out of the blue, I hadn't talked to her in ages. And she said, yeah, Brooke Shields wants your script. And I was like, <laughs> wait that like not not that brooke shields like there's another brooke shields right sure like there's a wannabe brooke shields, there is it's right? like we are okay you know I, broke shields broke shields yeah broke shields and the, no it was the brooke shields but the pr- challenge oh, was i had written it for like a 30 year old heroine and so it, they needed to age it to be appropriate okay. for brooke and i was under deadline with another project at the time and she said um you know we really need to turn it around very quickly and i said you've got somebody in mind that you want to do this right and she said yeah we do. And I said, do it, go, you know, do whatever you need to do. And then COVID hit, it was a whole thing, Uh, but they got it made. And I I am still flabbergasted to this day that it actually got made. Do you have another project in the works? Everybody out there is hoping you do. (laughs) I have a number of things that I, that I've written, um, but it's, it's really, really hard. Like that was, I'm starting to realize exactly what a sort of you know, that was like winning the lottery while being struck by lightning, like the odds <laughs> of that happening yeah. the way it did. So um, I, I I would love to get something else made and get something else in the works. And I, and I do have some things that I'm, you know, some book adaptations that are always going uh, and a couple of spec scripts. But right now, my, my, my day job and my real passion is with the novels. And I had so much fun. What, what was great about Castle for Christmas is it taught me that I, for a while, I thought, well, I loved writing that. I must love writing screenplays. And then I realized, no, what I love writing is adult rom-coms. Oh, that, so that was the you to the next. And yeah. so that was when that was another piece of why I transitioned to adult and the blonde identity, because I just I realized that it was uh, writing why I love writing why I was lucky to get to do it for as long as I did. But in a lot of ways, for the type of book that I write, it was like swimming in a weighted vest. And oh, when you no, when I you're able to sort analogy. of, you know, cast that off yeah. and be like, oh, I don't have to worry about why they haven't contacted an adult. They are the adults. You know, they yes. don't have to notify the proper authorities. They are the authorities. And so that that was just so freeing. And so I that was one of the reasons I think that I loved writing The Blonde Identity so much and had such a blast doing that. I love That's hearing awesome. how each thing you did because I say this all the time, is a stepping stone to the next mm-hmm. thing, right? Yeah. Like that made you have an interest in this, this led to that. True. And now here we are with the blonde identity. Yeah. So you've written in YA, you've written screenplays, you've written adult. I need to ask, we have a lot of listeners and watchers who are writers and emerging writers. What would you say across all of those is your one writing tip that you might want to share with all of us? 
So when I was oh, probably 12 or 13, I read The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. And I grew up on a, a small farm in Oklahoma, about an hour outside of Tulsa. And I found out that she was from Tulsa. And so 12-year-old Allie was like, I shall be a writer now. This is what I this is what this. teenage girls from Oklahoma do is we write <laughs> books. And then Tom Cruise stars in the movie and profit. Like, I just, you know, it seems so easy. I love that you went to profit. And, this is and, what 12-year-old <laughs> girls do. Then Tom Cruise. And yeah. money. I mean, that's yeah. just math is what yeah. that is. And that's just logical sequence. So logical. Yes. And so I sat down at my, you know, parents' kitchen table and began writing my first novel. And my mom was, who was an English teacher, was in the kitchen cooking dinner. And I, you know, wrote and wrote and wrote for a really long time, like 10 whole minutes. And then I just (laughs) burst into tears. And my mom came running out with like an onion in one hand and a knife in the other. She's like, what happened? What's wrong? And I'm just sitting there, you know, tears streaming down my face. I was like, it's not, it's not as good as the opening paragraph of The Great Gatsby. (laughs) And she's like, okay, well, you know, that's the great American novel. So maybe we lower our standards. That's awesome. That's hysterical. And then she said, and this is to this day, which I'm so lucky that the first writing advice I ever got is to this day, the best writing advice I ever got. She said, you should never judge your first draft based on somebody else's finished draft. Oh, I love that. That's really good. And it's true. And and to this day, I struggle with it, not just with my, you know, I I have a Mary Kay Andrews book on my Kindle that I have not read yet because I'm like, I'm not going to be able to write after I read that. I mean, clearly, I'm clearly this is not, I am never going to be able to live up to this so why you know so but and you know you judge it based on other people and then also on yourselves like do you guys do this where you know I can't my new book is not as good as my last book well the new book hasn't been worked on for you know 10,000 hours yeah so Maybe cut the that's some slack. so true yeah I needed to hear that advice from slack Mary Kay did you hear that yeah what's that cut the new book some slack yeah, I'm waking up. I, Allie, I'm waking up at three a, three a.m. with the doom with the dooms. <laughs> it's it is a vicious, vicious thing that we do to ourselves. Yep. It is. Yeah, it is. We do, we do. I'm in the like, oh my gosh, this was such a good idea. Is it as good? Like, am I? It, maybe it's not as good as I thought it was. Am I doing it as well as like someone else would be doing? It's like That's really so bad. Worse. We're so crazy. Yeah. Am so I weird. good enough for this idea? Does right. this, does yes. this idea deserve a better writer? Right. That's yeah. something that I ask myself mm-hmm. a lot. Like yep. lots of toxic things in our in mm-hmm. our little brains. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. Well, Allie, that is a great writing tip. I love that. I love it. So before we let you go, can you tell our viewers where they can find you um, on the road, maybe, and online in the future? Yes. Uh, AllieCarter.com. That's, I think, probably the one thing that's going to last throughout, you know, who knows how long because <laughs> social that. media comes and goes. Yeah. Uh, I am uh, the Allie Carter on Instagram. That's probably where I spend most of my time these days. Um, I'm not very good at it, but I am there. <laughs> I have some Facebook pages I never, ever check. And <laughs> I have a Twitter that who knows how long that will be in existence, but I am officially Allie over there. So uh, that's, and I am... Um, not a lot of tour appearances coming up. I, I've just wrapped up most of those, okay. but lots of podcasts and things like this. And again, it's just it's such a such a pleasure to be here. Oh, oh we're so, so nice. Well, thank you so much you. for coming and sharing your time with us. And everyone, all of you out there, please make sure to check out The Blonde Identity out now. And thank you again for being here, Allie. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Allie. Congratulations. <laughs> 
All right, everyone. Don't forget that you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We'll be back next week with our friends Tracy Lang and Amy Runyon. We have such a fun episode in store for you, as always, and we cannot wait. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you next week. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.